0: Who do you fear? What scares you? What are you afraid of? We're all fearful, whether we like to admit it or not. For some of us, fear is our daily life. For others, fear goes up and down, like the weather. Maybe you fear the weather. Your boss the world political climate, the latest interest rates decision, that next doctor's appointment, or that family get-together. I don't think I need to convince you that we are a people who can easily fear. And We're going to see from Psalm 27 this morning how the Lord is close in the face of our fear. So the last few weeks, uh, we've been on a break from our series in Genesis, while the Grinters have been away on leave. If you're new to the to this church or the Bible, you might not be familiar with the Psalms. They're like, I guess, the greatest hits Israel's top playlist of songs, spanning the whole breadth of human experience, from persecution to safety from faith to fear, from confidence to crisis, from questioning to proclaiming. Actually, that was all just in Psalm 27. The Psalms give us a chance to listen in on someone's heart. We hear the writer's prayers, their honest reflections, their journalings, and like any good song, they're for us to take up and sing. Add our experience to that. Sing to those, to ourselves and to those around us. So unlike a story or a narrative, which, like we read in 1 Samuel, or a letter, um, like 1 Peter or Romans, this genre of scripture is poetry with vivid imagery, metaphors and similes to draw pictures of who God is and how we relate to him. Each psalm was carefully constructed by the psalmist as he was led by God's spirit, as in all scripture, not just to bring us information, but to move our hearts towards trust. This psalm here aims to move us from fear towards courage, to move us from a vague, distant faith towards an intimate and close walk with the Lord. To walk us through the trials of oppression, persecution and trouble, knowing the Lord who is our help, draw us close. So this psalm can be broken up into four sections, as you can see on your outlines, and I hope you can follow along, Have keep the Bible open to see where we're going this morning. And all of these sections show us the Lord, that the Lord is close in the face of fear. Now each psalm has a background or a context that's often given uh, not by the bold headings in your Bibles that was added in by the, the publishers more recently, but by the, the little capitals that are just before verse 1, sometimes called verse 0. We're not given much in the way of specifics here other than of David. So if if you're not familiar, David was the second king of God's people, Israel, who was said to be a man after God's heart. And the Lord promised David that his kingdom would be established forever. Yet David's life wasn't smooth sailing. Before being crowned as king, He was on the run from King Saul, his father-in-law. And he got into his own strife as he slept with Uriah's wife Bathsheba. And then he arranged for Uriah to be killed killed in battle to cover up that sin. Then, later on, his own son Absalom was out to kill him. And so again he was on the run. So you could say David knew the fear of being hunted by his enemies, even his own families. This psalm could have been penned many times in David's life, perhaps around that passage that we read earlier. But whenever it was, the theme is clear, that the Lord is close in the face of fear. So the first section in verses 1 to 3 is about confident faith. Section 2 shows us close worship in verses 4 to 6. And then in verses 7 to 12, we hear David crying out for help to the Lord. And finally, the last section in verses 13 to 14 is a call to courage. So let's look at the first section, verses 1 to 3. And I invite you to keep following along with me and seeing read in this psalm together. Here we see David speaking about having a confident faith. Verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? He starts off announcing that the Lord is my light, my salvation, my stronghold. And has rhetorical questions. Whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? In light of who the Lord is, David says here that he doesn't need to fear anyone else. Let's just take a moment to look at those images. Firstly, light. This comes through all the Bible. God is described as light in contrast to the darkness that represents evil, enemies, death and sin. There is no darkness in the Lord. And the new creation that we read in Revelation depicts light beaming forth from Jesus, the Lamb. Next, salvation. Maybe you might have gotten a bit used to this word getting thrown around a lot in church and in the Bible. We can use it quite often. For David, he would have had not only a future hope of God's saving work in mind, but also a very real here-and-now sense of needing deliverance. He relied on the Lord for physical deliverance from his flesh and blood enemies. And third, stronghold. In the midst of enemies, a stronghold was safety and security from the foe somewhere from which to fend off the attacks and fight back the opposing forces. A fortress where your enemy could not breach. In verses 2 to 3, David gives us a bit more of the situation. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. So war rise against me, yet I will be confident. David has some pretty good reasons to be afraid right now, don't you think? Enemies taking over, surrounded by an army, war arising against him. I think I would be afraid, wouldn't
1: you? But as we've already heard, David isn't perfect. How can he be so confident here?
0: David knows the Lord, and and this confidence doesn't lie in how well he follows the Lord. How unwavering is his trust? His confidence is in the Lord and who he is. David asks this question, whom shall I fear, not just to himself, but also to you and me? Because of the fact that the Lord is my light, my salvation, and my stronghold, whom shall I fear? If you are one of the Lord's children, who can snatch you out of his hand? Oh, I know we still get fearful. I know I do. As we'll keep seeing through this psalm, though, the solution to fear isn't just a prescription. Take three verses twice daily for one week and and you're cured. You may face crippling fears or anxiety and you're wondering, am I really a Christian since I'm so fearful? Well, if you've been around Reforming Church for more than two weeks, I hope that you know you're in company here with fellow strugglers and sufferers. David calls you and me to ask this question in order to lift our eyes off ourselves, our problems, and our situation towards the Lord who is close in the face of our fears. Now, the next section continues on in verses 4 to 6, thinking about close worship as we see what turning to the Lord looks like for David. And at first glance, This verse might seem a bit out of place. David's talking about facing enemies and an army. And if he could ask the Lord for one thing right now, what would it be? What would you ask in the face of your fears, in the day of your trouble? What's the first thing you would ask? Well, usually... My prayers go something like this. God, please get me out of this. Get rid of this situation. Solve this problem, Lord. And there's nothing wrong with that, to say that, and and we can see later on in the psalm how David
1: kind of gets to that point. But look at how he gets there. Verse 4,
0: one thing... Have I asked of the Lord, and this will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David first asks for a closer presence of the Lord, to have intimate worship. Now, the place where God's people Israel drew near to him in worship was the temple, the house of the Lord. And the Bible tells us that God didn't didn't actually need a house to live in because all of creation is his. But he chose to reveal himself and make his presence known through the temple and through that imagery. In the face of his fears, why does David prioritise worship, seeking God, rather than getting down to business, getting to work on solving the problem? Have you ever been overwhelmed by something? A problem, a conflict, a suffering, a desperate need? Where you find yourself just ruminating well into the early hours, turning over the possibilities, playing out the scenarios, reliving the conversations, considering the what ifs or if onlys. Like I said before, God doesn't promise a quick fix to our fears. But I wonder whether our fears would have less hold on us as we build a habit of turning to the Lord. Rather than turning over our problems, what if we turned our gaze upon the beauty of the Lord? Well, what does that even mean? I'm sure you've already tried praying in the face of your fears and just getting bogged down every time in in your own head. Well, let's keep going through this to find help. Verses 5 to 6 look towards the future acts of the Lord. He will hide me in his shelter. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. My head will be lifted up. David places his future hope in the fact that the Lord is present and active. Based on what he knows about the Lord, David trusts that he is in the picture. Too often I can catch myself thinking like an atheist, as if God wasn't even there, as if God isn't sovereign over my future, as if God doesn't care about me. We can start living like functional atheists, writing God out of the story. But it's actually not our story to write, is it? Notice how in verses 5 and 6, all of these things are being done to David. He doesn't work really hard to get into God's presence, unlock the key. He relies, he rests on the Lord doing the work first the bible displays on every page the grace the undeserved favor that the lord offers to his chosen people and now let's look at david's response i will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy i will sing and make melody to the lord what does this remind you of what what is that a picture of it's right here right now It's gathered worship, honouring God with joyful sacrifice and singing. And now, thankfully, we don't need to offer animal sacrifices each day or week, like in David's time. But we are called to present our bodies as a living sacrifice by living in such a way that brings the Lord pleasure. And we're to sing. Have you ever wondered why we sing on a Sunday morning? Just because God told us to do, just because we have to. Have to sing, oh, la, la, la. Maybe, but I think more than that, we get to sing. We have a reason to. We sing to the Lord for all that he has done first. And it lifts our eyes up to him. Many, all of these psalms are songs that God's people sing and strangely they tell us, the songs tell us to sing. It's a bit bit circular but it makes sense, doesn't it? Singing lifts up our hearts as well as our eyes. Let's think more about how we can gaze upon the beauty of the Lord coming in close worship of him. I'm sure there's hundreds of different practical examples and I'd love to hear what you do, what lifts your eyes, how you gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. But wouldn't it be great if we just had one thing here, something that anyone could do? Anywhere, with people or when you're by
1: yourself, at work or lying awake in bed, what, what could it be? Well, it's, we've already thought about it, actually. It's right here in verse 6, singing. Even if
0: maybe you or others don't like the sound of your singing, we can sing. Lately, for myself, if, if my mind doesn't shut down when it's time to sleep... Or when it's way over time, past time to sleep. Running over fears and failures. I've started singing a church song or a hymn or a psalm, something I'm familiar with in, in my head over and over. I mean, I still might not go to sleep straight away, but slowly my thoughts turn to the words I'm singing. And to the one I'm singing them to. The situation might not change. I might still be awake at 1 am. But I'm slowly getting less stressed and at least not as upset about still being awake. David leads us in this second section towards a closer worship of the Lord as we see how he is close to us in the face of our fears. Now, the third section in verses 7 to 12 moves to David's cry to help, cry for help from the Lord. At this point, David gets personal with the Lord. I don't know if you notice, but he moves from speaking about the Lord to speaking to him we get a sense that in the first sense of the psalm, there's a bit of distance between the oppression that's going on, the situation, the heat, and the writing down of these verses. But in verse 7, can you see the temperature is rising? I think this is a reflection of our lives too. We may have taken some time over the years when the heat wasn't on, So think about how the Lord is close to us in the face of our fears. But then we find ourselves back in the furnace with questions and pleas coming up, searching. David calls out to the Lord in honesty and desperation. Verse 7, hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. The Bible, and especially the Psalms, give us permission to bring our raw, unpolished feelings to the Lord. The church isn't a place where we have to wear a painted smile and pretend that life is always awesome. Often our experiences cause us to doubt what we know about the Lord and his love for us. David goes on. You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek? He's saying, Lord, I'm trying to do what you asked. I'm trying to draw close to you. But life is still falling apart. I still face my enemies and I'm still afraid. We need to be clear that for those who are brought into God's family, He doesn't promise a life free from suffering. In fact, Jesus says that in this world, those who follow him will have trouble. He continues, Hide not your face from me, turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. This is a cry from someone who's feeling like they've been cut off
1: from the Lord feeling like God is anything but close. Can you relate? But see what David does with that feeling. Does he let it fester
0: and build up a wall between him and God? Does he give up on the Lord since it seems that God has given up on him? No, he continues, he persists in prayer, clinging on to what he knows for sure. That this is the God of his salvation, the God who delivers, the God for whom nothing is too hard. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. He's saying that even if your own parents reject you, the Lord will be close in the face of fears. Have you known the loss? Or pain of a fractured relationship
1: with father or mother. Or with another close family member. The Lord grieves this
0: and draws near to take you in. To give you a new family. To tend to your wounds. David continues to cry out in prayer and he says, "'Teach me your ways, O Lord, and lead me on a level path.' because of my enemies give me not up to the will of my adversaries for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence maybe it seems odd that in his distress David asks to be taught the ways of the Lord a growing closeness with the Lord will bear fruit in wanting to follow his ways Loving the Lord means loving what he loves. You've probably seen it with newly dating couples. Oh, sure, I'd love to go to the market this weekend. What a great idea to work on your ute together tomorrow. Oh, this cricket game is so much fun. Should I book somewhere for lunch for us? Oh, wait, you mean it goes all day long? As we grow closer to someone, we get to know what they are interested in and what they value.
1: And we don't have to guess with God. He graciously gives it to us in his word, the Bible.
0: David's asking for guidance and protection here, a level path so that he can be delivered from his enemies. And he also asked the Lord not to let his enemies get away or get their way with him. David had his faults for sure, but he sought to live an upright life, all the while being slandered. Even in the midst of false witnesses and violence,
1: David continued to know the closeness of the Lord. Now the final section of this psalm is the last two verses where David brings a call to courage. He shifts back from speaking to the Lord
0: towards speaking to others with a final encouragement. This final call concludes the progression through the psalm towards intimacy with the Lord. From a place of fear to a place of courage. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, verse 13. David speaks of his conviction that he looks forward to seeing God's goodness, his character, his works, his beauty, in God's good place, the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord he concludes this psalm with a call to wait and take courage. In the context of enemies or armies waging war around him, it might seem like a poor battle plan to wait. I'm not really the best at waiting, that's why I don't like public transport. I like to be doing something, being productive. And waiting so often feels like time wasted.
1: There's so much else that I could do. But this here is a different kind of waiting.
0: Waiting for the Lord involves deferring to Him, turning to Him in prayer, letting go of my personal agenda in the scheme of His kingdom purposes. David knew this firsthand. He could have taken for himself the kingdom. Others told him to claim his throne by taking Saul's life. And he was even given that perfect opportunity when Saul came into the cave to relieve himself where David and all his troops were hiding, as we read before. Almost everyone thought David was crazy.
1: But he wouldn't take the life of Saul since he was the king chosen by the Lord. Yet waiting for the
0: Lord doesn't mean just sitting back and never making our own decisions.
1: It looks like humble obedience to what God has called his people, growing in love for one another, taking courage from the Lord's strength in our weakness,
0: facing fear and knowing that the Lord is close at hand. We've read this psalm through David's life and his experiences. But we must also read this psalm to see how it is sung and lived even better by Jesus Christ. The Lord is close to David in the face of his fears. The Lord also walks close to Jesus as he faced the fear of bearing our sin and death. The Lord Jesus came into the darkness of this world shining as a light, bringing a hope of salvation to all who had come to him. He dwelled in perfect closeness, face to face with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. Yet he humbled himself to be born as a man. Evildoers assailed him. They beat his flesh. Adversaries and foes, a band of soldiers came out to arrest him. Yet he was confident. Jesus cried out to his father that he would be gracious and deliver him. He asked to be hidden in the day of his trouble, concealed under the Lord's tent, that God would not hide his face from Jesus. He pleaded in the garden of Gethsemane that his father would not forsake him that he would not see the white-hot wrath of God's judgment against sin. Jesus cried out that the enemy, his enemy, Satan, would not take his life as he faced opposition from false witnesses all around him, breathing out violence towards
1: him. But he was cut off. The Father did not answer his cry for help. His face was turned away from his beloved Son.
0: And in that moment on the cross, Jesus did not
1: know the Lord to be close in the face of fear, despair, and utter darkness. it was that place that you and I deserve to have been.
0: We haven't loved God or each other as we should. We've sinned. We've rebelled against God.
1: And we face the consequences for our sin, which is death and judgment. But Jesus didn't remain under God's wrath. Dying a death with no sin of
0: his own. Jesus was raised to life on the third day. His head was lifted up over his enemies. Death did not have the final say. The sacrifice had been made. Jesus' perfect sinless life on behalf of the guilty. Jesus didn't stain the grave but saw the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Never to be cut off from the Father's love again. Do you long to know this refuge in the face of fear, closeness with the God who made you? If you haven't known a restored relationship with the Lord, I'd love to talk more with you afterwards. He calls you to wait for him, to come to him, to kneel before his throne and confess your sin receiving forgiveness and a new life as a child of God and receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, our Comforter, who works to teach us the Lord's ways and grow us to be more like Jesus so that we would know more each day that the Lord is close to us in the face of our fears. Please join me as we pray. Our Father in heaven, we are prone to be fearful. We face the problems around us and within us that give us much cause for concern. So we come to you asking that you would hear us, be gracious to us, and answer the Lord. Answer us, Lord. Forgive us for the times we've trusted in ourselves and not turned towards you in times of need. You've called us to seek your face, and Lord, we do seek you. Even as our situations might not change, we ask that you would give us a greater love for you, a greater desire to draw near to you in worship, both as we gather on a Sunday morning and as we worship you with our lives each day. Father, we thank you that you have provided a way through Jesus for us to dwell close with you, although we in no way deserve it. We give you praise that Jesus bore our sins and was forsaken so that we would not be cut off from you. Help us to wait for you, Lord, to grow in humble reliance upon you so that we might be able to take courage in the face of our fears, knowing that
1: you are close. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.